0: Every year, right after Easter, we believe God calls us to invite some people, just like you all, from the seats to come up and share their story of God's work in their life. We believe this helps create this welcoming place that we call Orchard Hill Church. We believe in taking off our masks. If you'll notice that about our teachers Uh, We don't hide very much up here. We don't try to pretend we're better than we are. We're pretty honest. And we believe that God works powerfully through people who are authentic and honest and real. And so um, this morning, I want to invite my good friend, Jewel Cooper, up in just a minute. Jewel is one of my all-time favorite people. Uh, Jewel has a deep and rich relationship with Jesus. Jewel has been helpful in her professional life in my family uh, and and, and in my own life. And uh, Jewel has a powerful story to tell about God's faithfulness in her life. And so now I invite you to come up. I'm kind of bossy. And uh, she's got to run the gauntlet here. You don't even know how scary it is to come up these stairs and not not trip. So go ahead and get yourself comfortable. And uh, I'm going to pray. And then Jewel's going to share her story. God, thank you for the gift of another day to live and to serve and to worship and to live beyond ourselves. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we no longer have to strive and scratch and scrabble to try to make our way to you, but that through Jesus, we are loved, we are connected, we are redeemed, we are your children. Thank you. And I pray now for my friend Jewel that you would empower her through your spirit to share her story clearly and concisely and confidently. Thank you for the way that you've worked in her life in a powerful way that I believe is going to resonate with many, many people in this room. And I pray now, Father, that you would open our ears and our hearts to what you have to say personally to each one of us through my friend Jewel. I pray all this in the powerful, beautiful, wonderful name of Jesus Christ, my king. Amen.
1: Thank you, Alice. Are you good? I'm good. Okay. Right down there. You Thank can. you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> good morning. When I was 61 years old, I broke my shoulder playing football with the UNI football team. You see, my friend Joanne and I attended Ladies' Night, a fun get-to-know-you event put on by the University of Northern Iowa football team and staff. We get to meet the new staff and coaches, and the players tell us about the position they play, then teach us the fundamentals of the game as we participate in running drills with them. It's always a fun time. On Thursday, August twenty seventh, 2015, after we had chowed down the cheese and crackers and raw veggies that were laid out for us, we all headed down to the playing field. Joanne and I stopped by where head, head coach Mark Farley was standing, and Joanne took a picture of Coach Farley and me. Down on the field, we were just completing that exercise where you high-step in and out of tires that are lying flat on the ground. At the end of the drill, there was a very large football player who was offering his hand for a high-five up top. I jumped up with all the strength I had left, slapped his hand, I think, and then everything went black. Next thing I knew... I was lying face down on the AstroTurf with Joanne by my side, trying to sit up. My left shoulder hurt with excruciating shock waves. I hoped I could stay conscious. One of the trainers came over and checked me out, and I remembered Joanne giving him orders about getting ice and some other stuff that I don't remember. It took a village, but they got me up and on my feet. Joanne brought me to the emergency care center, and an x-ray showed that I had shattered my humerus, which I didn't find funny at all, and I was given an appointment to see an ortho surgeon the next day, Friday, at 4 p.m. I need to pause here and give you just a little background. I was actually in pretty excellent health when this happened. I was 61 years old and had been living with diabetes for almost 40 years now. In 1977, when I was diagnosed, it was called juvenile diabetes, which came to be known as type 1, or insulin-dependent diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is considered preventable and reversible, but type 1 is lifelong and means that my pancreas doesn't produce insulin. It really takes a lot of focus and effort to manage my disease, counting carbs, computing how much insulin I should then inject, minus the exercise I hope to get in that day. It's an illness that is manageable, but must be diagnosed and treated many times a day based on my current blood sugar levels, with never a day off. To not do so would result in almost immediate short-term consequences and contribute to many debilitating long-term consequences. I know I'm not alone in dealing with this chronic illness, but sometimes it feels that way. Now, I was fortunate enough to be raised in a Christian family and grounded in Bible study, memorizing verses, church attendance twice on Sundays, and Wednesday night potlucks. And I even graduated from a Christian college. I've learned that being a Christian doesn't preclude me from suffering or hitting those bumps in the road. I've learned through poor choices and tough circumstances that it's not enough to have head knowledge of the Bible, but putting that knowledge into faith and that faith into practice requires that I live in this world with troubles and challenges. Although I certainly don't need to live here alone. But it took many years for me to figure this out. Throughout my young adulthood, the stress of college, then marriage, then traveling and singing for a living, pregnancy and the birth of my son, Brian, the ups and downs of a stressful marriage, divorce, being a single parent, controlling my own health, and worrying about earning enough money to make ends meet, sure seemed like a lot for me to try to juggle all on my own. I had been divorced a couple of years when I met Joel. The past 28 years with Joel, 26 of them married, have been life-challenging, life-affirming, full of love, plus frustration, jealousy and anger, and some sleepless nights. All in all, though, Joel is not only my best friend, but he and God have also taught me so much about being in relationship. It turns out that God knew exactly who I needed in my life and was planning how and when we would meet and what it would take to keep us together. What an amazing gift from God Joel has been to me. Even though it seems like we are complete opposites, and believe me, this can be challenging, when we keep our eyes focused on God, God is always faithful and quick to cover us with His grace. Romans 8.28 in the message tells me that's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Isn't this great news? Even when I mess up and turn away and have questions and doubts about what I'm doing, God can turn all these things into something good. Joel and I met and dated, living about 90 miles apart. I lived in Des Moines, and he lived on a farm outside of Trayer. We didn't have smartphones or Skype, but for two years, our nightly long-distance phone calls and seeing each other on the weekends helped us get to know each other pretty well before we married on December 23, 1990. Life down on the farm was overwhelming for this city girl. My nearest neighbors were my in-laws, and they lived on another farm about a mile away. It felt isolating and lonely for me, especially in the spring and fall when Joel would just disappear. That's planting and combining seasons for those of you who aren't rural folk like I wasn't. So I saw this as an opportunity to enroll in UNI's master's program in mental health counseling. After graduating, I began my career as a gambling treatment counselor. I loved helping others and appreciate the guidance and philosophies of the 12 steps of recovery. I still find that these 12 steps are the foundation of my spirituality. In 2010, at the age of 56, I felt exhausted trying to keep up with my full-time career. I decided to take the same advice that I gave my clients to slow down and take care of myself. With Joel's gracious blessing, I left my full-time job with gambling addictions and opened a part-time private counseling practice. I loved every minute of my time in private practice. I found that I had the time to also add daily meditation to my schedule. I would, and still do, look forward to getting up early and spending quiet, alone time with the God who created the galaxies and universes. And I believe that this same God actually delights in spending this time with me, too. We have delightful conversations or read the Bible and other inspirational devotions together. Sometimes we nod off and take a nap together or just watch the sun come up together. It has never been wasted time, no matter how busy I think my day is going to be. Now, I am an aging diabetic, and I feel very fortunate that I still have my eyesight and all of my limbs. I do have many of the side effects of long-term diabetes, like delayed healing of wounds, blood sugar fluctuations and resulting mood swings, clinical depression, and under-functioning thyroid, a heart stent, reduced circulation, and painful neuropathy in my feet. And just recently, I was found to have some diabetic retinopathy in my right eye. Plus, arthritis and osteoporosis, and you just about see the condition that my condition is in, so to speak. In 2012, I added yet another diagnosis. I began noticing that I was making clerical mistakes and forgetting details both at home and regarding my counseling practice. Now, I have been an obsessively organized perfectionist my entire adult life when it comes to typing and details and paperwork, and I was at a loss to explain how I was making all of these mistakes. What was going on? I became concerned that I might might not be able to provide quality counseling therapies and appropriate confidentiality to my clients. I made an appointment with doctors for an MRI and psychological testing. They discovered that I have a disorder called cerebral atrophy, which means that the cells in my brain are dying due to extreme highs and lows of blood sugars that deprive my brain of oxygen. This shows up as black holes on an MRI picture. Some of the symptoms are loss of memory, inability to do daily functions, and confusion. Its symptoms mimic those of dementia or Alzheimer's disease. After repeated testing and some obvious progression in my forgetfulness and clerical errors, I decided in 2014 that I should retire from my counseling practice. Thankfully, through it all, I have maintained my very close relationship with God. I have never stopped spending my morning time with God, and it brings me comfort to know that I can talk about anything with God, even my fears and upsets. I can't really say when it happened, but I began thinking more and more about some of the stories I've heard about loved ones with dementia who become confused, then start drooling and need to be spoon-fed and cared for until they die. I wondered if there was any awareness going on at all in that person, or had their brain died? Did they still feel, or think, or love? Could they hear? Did they still know who God was? Would the Holy Spirit still take up residence in such an empty shell? Unfortunately, no one has gone through the experience and come back to tell us all what it's like to lose one's mind at the end of life. I slowly yet resolutely made the decision that I would not put my husband, family, and friends through the turmoil of watching me lie in a bed, wasting away, not having any idea what reality was or who people were. I didn't feel depressed, and this didn't seem like being suicidal. It, was, it would just be so much easier for me to decide when I was done with this life. There was no need to even discuss it or ask for other opinions. I didn't even discuss it with God. It, it just made sense. Back to my football injury. Yeah, I have a football injury. <laughs> the day following my accident, Joel brought me to the doctor's office after a restless night. After examining me, I was to return on Monday for an MRI of my shoulder, so the doctor gave me a prescription for oxycodone to help with the pain. After Joel gave me an oxycodone pill that night, I was out. Literally. The next time I remember was the Sunday morning of the great gathering, which I really wanted to go to when friends Linda and Joanne came over after church to check on me. I don't remember any more than just that they were there. What happened after that was so bizarre that it's difficult for me to even put events in order or to remember what they were. I remember having weird hallucinations of being held prisoner and watching bombings and war scenes out a window. I was so confused. What a nightmare. I'm told I even had a conversation with my dad, who passed away several years ago. Joel had been taking care of me at home all weekend after I hurt my shoulder, but I had developed some severe complications and had been getting worse and worse. Joel became especially concerned when I couldn't remember how to program my insulin pump, something I do many times a day. That was when he took me to my doctor's office, and she ran some blood tests. Those results indicated that I was gravely ill, by all accounts. So Joel drove me to the emergency room, where I was then admitted to the hospital. That was Tuesday. The following Saturday, September 5th, the decision was made to transfer me to the University of Iowa Hospitals in Iowa City. My friend and pastor, Alice Shirey, tells me that she and others who were in my room at the time watched the machines that were attached to me as they indicated that my kidneys were shutting down. And they didn't even know yet what was causing it or what my diagnosis was. After taking blood samples and sending them to Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Alice, Joel, and Linda prayed for me and then an ambulance took me the opposite direction to the intensive care unit of the University of Iowa Hospitals. The next thing I remember was waking up in a hospital room. I was surrounded by a bunch of people and was aware that Jeff Mickey was there, ready to offer a prayer for me. Through my confusion, Joel walked into the room. I remember seeing his eyes looking into mine, and suddenly, I knew I could relax now. Joel was here. Everything was going to be taken care of. I don't remember anything after that, but I knew that my guardian angel in the form of my husband had arrived. I was finally at peace for a while. Long story a tad shorter, my blood test came back and showed that I had contracted E. coli, When or where or how I contracted this is still anyone's guess. And this particular strand of E. coli was so rare that my specialist at U of I said he would probably never come across this kind again in his lifetime. I had no idea what was going on with my diabetes. My insulin pump had been removed and I was being given insulin shots. This was the first time in all my years of being diabetic that I can recall someone else making decisions for me regarding my blood sugars. Before this was over, my kidneys had all but shut down, both lungs were filling up, and my heart was having palpitations. I received a blood transfusion, kidney dialysis, and breathing therapy. Oh, yes, and I still had this shattered humerus that I would notice acutely whenever I was moved. I have never felt so out of control in my life. I still have very few memories of these weeks of being so ill, which I count as a blessing. I am so thankful for all of those who cared for me, and I am so thankful for all of those who prayed for me. I've heard others say it before, but truly, I could feel the prayers in a sense of calmness and well-being in the moment. After about three weeks in U of I Hospital, I was transferred to a nursing home in Cedar Falls, where I spent two weeks learning how to walk and get dressed again and begin physical therapy. Friends brought meals for us to eat together, even washed, cut, and styled my hair, and just made me feel loved, appreciated, and cared about. I was even visited by a little brown therapy bunny which I think others here have probably been visited by that bunny, too. Then there was Joel. Every time I saw him walk through my hospital door, he brought a sense of peace, comfort, and a very special kind of love and healing with him. It felt like home had just arrived. When he was there, everything just felt better. Finally, I got to return home. After six weeks, I returned to the orthopedic surgeon who had only seen my shoulder once. It was decided to just do physical therapy as my shoulder had either quit hurting a long time ago or I had been so distracted with everything else that I just no longer noticed it. As soon as I arrived home, I could get back to my early morning quiet time alone with God. Although I always felt God was close by when I was hospitalized, I needed my own space and appointed time to reconnect with God in the same way as I had before. I was so full of gratitude for every little thing I could think of, for one more day of life, for a husband who took such such good care of me and everything else while I was incapacitated, for my friends who had shown so much love and care, for being able to breathe deeply, and for completely restoring my kidneys, lungs, and heart to their original health and functioning. It was one morning when I was musing once again about how God had completely restored my health from some rare, potentially deadly bacteria that mysteriously only struck me that I heard that still, small voice saying, I will be the one to decide when your time is done here on Earth. Only then did I remember the deal that I had made with myself about when I would be done here on Earth. I know I just stared into space for a long time. I could hear verses in my head like, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans for a future and hope and I will never leave you nor forsake you. These were no longer just words that I had memorized, but were spoken in great intimacy to me alone. I was astounded to think that I had been living almost my entire adult life saying, I believe in God and trust God with my very life and future. Yet, when it came right down to it, I couldn't trust God with such a big decision as when I would be done here. Obviously, God wasn't done with me yet. I knew on my own, I am nothing. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My, for my power is perfected in you. <laughs> for my power is perfected in your weakness. How good it is to know that Jesus is always standing at the door knocking just waiting for me to show up and connect with him again. I never have had to ask God twice to show up. God has always been there, and I am never alone. So of course I can trust God with every moment of my present and my future. I still have all the diagnoses I used to have. God didn't take any one of them away from me. But how ironic that God showed me without a doubt Who is in control of my today and my tomorrow and my forever? And it isn't me. When Dave Bartlett spoke about heaven recently, he reminded us that God tells us to imagine the most ideal that we believe heaven could be. And heaven will be even better than what we could have possibly imagined. So when God decides my time on earth is over, I imagine... I will be spending time in constant sunshine and walking through lush, colorful gardens, hand in hand with my savior and surrounded by my loved ones. My body, mind, and soul will be completely healed and restored to peaceful well-being. I will continue to learn, which I love to do, and will only have useful information in my brain so there will be no wasted spaces. And don't even get me started on what my new body will look like. (laughs) Thank you.
0: So, part of what you heard Jewel describe is something I think all of us can relate to, whether we struggle with a chronic illness or an acute illness or whatever age we are. And that is this idea that, as, as Dave Bartlett has talked, out, be, talked about before, there are things we know, and then after a while we really know them, and then after a while and through some experiences, sometimes some suffering, we really know them. And so Jewel started off, you know, with a really strong, deep trust in God, except for this one area of her life, which I think a lot of us can relate to, where she had just decided, you know what, I'm just going to be in control of that. And though I don't believe that God gave Jewel E. coli, I believe that he used that experience, even the parts of it where she felt completely out of control and was uh, really not with us, to help her trust him at, I think, the deepest level a human being can trust God at, which is uh, with, with every aspect of our life, including trusting God with our death. Powerful. Powerful. So let me pray, okay? Uh, Father, thank you for Jewel's courage thank you for her lifelong relationship with you and those mornings that she gives to you so that she can recognize your voice so that when you have really important things to say to her like uh, i'm the one who will control your future i'm the one who will decide when your time on earth here is done she recognized your voice and can be obedient to it i pray father that all of us in this room in our own unique ways, in the ways that you've wired us, would create space to sit with you, to learn from you, to even take a nap in your presence, which I do a lot, and, uh, and build that relationship with you so that you can speak words of hope and words of courage and words of conviction and confidence and hope uh, into our lives in our darkest moments. I want to take a moment and pray for anyone in this room who's dealing with a long time chronic illness like diabetes or other illnesses that just simply take a toll on our bodies and often make us feel alone. God, may your presence and your comfort be palpable to all of those who suffer and struggle in that way. I pray for those who are dealing with dementia or memory loss or Alzheimer's in their own life, dealing just with the weight of that kind of diagnosis. Maybe, maybe they're dealing with that kind of diagnosis in the life of someone they love and they've now become not just a spouse or a son or a daughter, but a caregiver. God, I pray for strength and courage and kindness. I pray for anybody who has faced recently an acute, very frightening illness, or right now has somebody in the hospital and, and we're fearful for their life or their future. Father, may your healing hand be on those people. I pray for any of us who have a deep fear of dying, who, who worry about what the end of our life might look like. And I, I pray for anyone in here this morning, Father, who may not uh, have a confident relationship with Jesus and who therefore feels very fearful about death and eternity. I pray that your hand of love and warmth and grace and welcome would be upon them and and that if any of anybody has questions about how to have that confident relationship with God through Christ, they would come talk to somebody on staff. And Father, now I just pray that each one of us can encourage our friends, encourage ourselves, encourage our families to build that powerful connection with you so that we can put our entire life into your hands, our days, our nights, our health, our death our eternity into your hands. We can trust you with all those things, God, and then we can live this abundant life of love and joy you call us to live on this earth, completely trusting you with everything else. What freedom, God. What joy. What hope through Jesus. So thank you for Jill's courage this morning, God. Thank you for her obedience to your call. And thank you for a church that believes in a God who works in the lives of ordinary people all the time amen